My name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. How are we today? How are we today? Good, good, good. Well, it's so great to be with uh, you guys this morning. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 3 today as we continue to go through our series uh, there. So as you're turning there to Hebrews 3, let me ask you a question. If you were trapped and stuck on a deserted island, what would be the one thing that you would want to take with you to help ensure your survival? Okay, now, now don't be like saying like, I'm going to take a boat with me, or I'm going to take, you know, a plane or internet or a phone or any of those things. I mean, you're stuck on the deserted island, and also it's a deserted island. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no phone service. None of that. Uh, it's not about kind of drastically changing your circumstance to get off the island. It's just, what would you take with you? to help you get through that circumstance, to survive on the island. Okay, so what do you guys think? What, what are a couple answers to this crowd engagement part? Super fun. An axe, yeah? What was that one? Someone back here? Wait, do you? A lighter. I thought you said spider. I was like, they're probably there. Um, yeah, a, a lighter. Okay. One more. Right up here, maybe. What would you take? water purifier. Someone said that in the last one. That was a good one. I was like, hey, yeah, no more runs. That'd be good. Um, yeah, so, um, well, I did a little bit of research, and um, according to one survival expert, he said the, the thing that you would want to be kind of at the top of your list would want to be a machete. Um, with that, it was kind of like, hey, it's better than a pocket knife because it, when you're trying to get through thick vegetation, a pocket knife's not going to really do anything, but a machete has both kind of uh, a good enough size to help you get through that, but also be able to act uh, with enough precision to help you build a shelter, to ward off any wildlife, um, and help you stay alive. Um, how many of you have seen the movie Castaway? Okay, I love that. You know, it's a fun movie with Tom Hanks. He's, and that's basically him. He's, he's trapped on a deserted island, and um, he's stranded there. And, and uh, he doesn't have a machete, but he has an ice skate. And uh, so he uses it to like open coconuts and everything. And then he also has this abscessed tooth that he uses the skate to get rid of. Man, I remember that part. I was like, oh my gosh. And he passes out um, after he jams it in his face. Um, it was great. Um, but one of the, the, the thing that actually Tom Hanks in the movie that is, he's really holding on to, uh, to, to help him survive, to help him get through, is Wilson. If you've seen the movie, it's this volleyball that he kind of paints his face on, um, and, and he really hangs on to that the whole way. And this volleyball, he talks to it and everything, and it helps him to kind of maintain his sanity, and it's what he clings to to help him survive. And so the question that I have for you is today, right now, what are you holding on to in your life? What is that one thing that you're clinging to to help you get through life through every kind of situation, through the tough times to help you survive. And, and whatever that thing is or person that it is that you're hanging on to, that you're clinging to, you're hanging on to that because you believe it can actually help you get through, that it will provide you with what you need. But how do you know that whatever it is that you're holding on to can actually do that, can actually help you get through this life. So uh, that's that what we'll be looking at in Hebrews 3. So if you got a copy of the scriptures, go ahead and open it to Hebrews 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, 
Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So first point, first observation is this, stay fixed on Jesus. Now that word consider there, that's kind of, it's actually a pretty strong word there. Um, for us, when we think of consider, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll consider it, I'll give it some thought. Doesn't have to be that intentional um, or anything like that, not a lot of focus. But here, th- it's a much stronger word and it's saying, it's this idea of meditation. Stay, stay fixed on, focus on, direct your mind carefully towards something. Don't let your mind stray to something else, but keep, your, keep applying your mind to this thing and then apply it to your life. Stay fixed on Jesus. But I want you to notice, as that's the command there, to, to stay fixed on Jesus, look at how it starts off. It says, therefore, so that's pointing us back to everything that the author's been saying. Therefore, in light of what I've been telling you, that Jesus is greater than the prophets, that Jesus is greater than the angels, that he is God, that he's made the purification for sin, that he is our high priest, that he is our propitiation, that he's he's satisfied God's anger towards our sin. Because of all of those things, in light of the great salvation that we have, in light of the mercy and grace that Jesus has brought us from death to himself, because of all that, Jesus is worthy of your full attention. Stay fixed on him because of this great life that he's given you. And then he goes on, holy brothers. And he calls us this, this this holy brothers, holy brothers and sisters. And he reminds us who we are, that we're this family. But what kind of brothers or sisters are we? Holy. That, 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 hey, you've been set apart. You've been made right with God. You've been cleansed. And in chapter two, it's very clear how this happened. This happened not by any human achievement, not by you being good, not by you striving and and being a really good person, not doing these bad things that you could somehow kind of work up the ranks and get closer to God. It's nothing by that. It is totally by what Christ has done for you. Now that you, you are a holy family because of the work of Christ. And then he keeps going. Those who share in the heavenly calling. Again, just the author's reminding us, this is who you are. You're God's rescued people. You don't belong to the things of this world, to this earth. You belong to him who bought you with his blood. He's made you new. He's the one who makes us who we are and transforms us. And then the author, he describes Jesus with two titles, apostle and high priest. Now, now we usually don't use the word apostle to refer to Christ. And actually, This is the only place in the New Testament that it refers to Christ using that word apostle. And that word there just means sent one. That that Jesus has been sent um, down to save us. This ties with our core value of of down. Um, And this is John 3, 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so Jesus was sent to save us. And then he is our high priest. Now the high priest was basically a representative of the people on their behalf to God. And then he would he would kind of intercede for them, he would make a sacrifice for them, and Jesus is our great high priest and that he intercedes for us on our behalf and he he sacrificed himself. Not just some sacrifice, but he sacrificed himself so that we might be cleansed, that we might know God. And so the writer here, he's just saying, hey, you, these people, 
that have been saved by Jesus, that have been brought into this family, set apart, made right with him because Jesus, our apostle and high priest, because of who Jesus is, what he's done for you, because of who you are, focus on Jesus. Stay fixed on Jesus. Trust him. Look to nothing else. Consider him. And the author is doing this because uh, the, the church, the, the people that he's writing to, they're facing persecution because of their faith in Christ. And they're, and they're feeling uh, kind of pulled away from Christ to their old practices, to their old ways. And they're kind of losing their focus on Jesus. They're in danger of not, not trusting him. And, and, and we all struggle with this, right? I mean, we, we struggle to just cling to Christ, to trust him to stay fixed on him. I mean, maybe, maybe you're just incredibly fixed on your job, making sure that you have a certain kind of income or, or will have a certain kind of income. Maybe, maybe your, your, your focus is on family. Maybe it's on sports, making money, or, or, or maybe it's people's approval. And, and none of those things are, are really bad things. I mean, like family or, or even, hey, I want people to like me. That's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Those can be good things. But I think what m- many of us do is we take something that's good and we make it ultimate. And, and, then, and then because of that, because we make it ultimate, then we lose our focus on Christ. Maybe it's because you, maybe you, you find yourself now you're just worrying a lot. You're really struggling with contentment. Man, do I have enough? Do I make enough? Do I have someone? And, and because of those things, because we make these things ultimate, we just see our, our, shift, our focus shift from Jesus to these other things. And it, and it affects our delights, our desires for him. So how do you actually stay fixed on Jesus when there's so many things in this world or just even things in here that are just pulling us away from Christ and distracting us? I think it starts with actually where the author here starts, and it's remembering and continuing to think about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Just remembering who he is, diving deeper and deeper into the gospel. I mean, one of the most repeated commands in scripture is remember. God, when he gives Israel, his people, these feasts, it's to remember who he is. Even Jesus, he gives us communion. Do this in remembrance of me. And so take time, just stop your day, even just for a moment, even just before you get out of your car or or something, just take time to stop and to think, this is who God is. This is what he's done for me. This is why my focus, my attention should be on him. Do, Do this even when you're facing good times, not just tough times. You know, so that you are already trusting who he is when those tough times come. My family, uh, we, had, we had a pretty rough August and September. It was hard. Um, we had the cell of our home go through. We had water uh, in the basement of our old house. We had water in the basement of our new house. Our dryer broke. We had this pipe burst. Uh, Christy's rib was, was broken, and she was sick for a few weeks. Um, our pet's heads were falling off. Um, okay, that didn't really happen, but it made me think of that quote from Dumb and Dumber. And if you haven't seen that movie, then you know what you're doing this afternoon. So, um, but but I, it was rough. And, and, and just to be honest with you guys, there were, there were times where it's like, I know what I believe. I know that God is good. But that's not really right now what I believe. 
or feel. Right now, I'm just really wondering, God, do you even care about me? I mean, man, it's just thing after thing after thing. And man, can you just just help me in something? Because it just keeps piling up and nothing seems to be getting any better. God, do you care? And and, and during this time, um, you know, Christy did a great job of reminding me of who Jesus was. Um, People at City Light were were just praying for us, uh, helping us, all of these things. And again, just speaking to our lives about who God is. And so if I'm just ever wondering, God, do you really care? Are you really in this mess, in this just all this junk in my life? Are you willing to even just kind of step into this? I just remind myself that Jesus was sent into the darkness, light into the darkness, into the sin, into the mess, into my life, and he died for me. He paid the price willingly for my sin. And if Jesus, if he's willing to do that, to step into that kind of mess, to step into that kind of just junk and darkness, if he's willing to do that, surely he's, he's with me in this. And, and if I ever just think, man, God, can you actually help me in this? Can you provide a new bower? Can you actually comfort me or do anything? Are you capable? I just remember, you rose from the dead. That, t- that tomb is still empty. You conquered sin and death. And if you have the power to raise from the dead, surely you have the kind of power to be with me in, in these problems. And so we just remind ourselves, this is who God is. This is the gospel. And the author knows that his readers are just wanting to just kind of start to look to these other things other than Christ. And, and for them, or even for us today, hey, if you're going to get through this, if you're going to survive You have to be holding on to Jesus. Consider him. Stay fixed on Christ. But how do we know that Jesus is really better or the best thing for us to be holding on to? And he goes on to answer that. Look at verse 2. Talking about Christ, he says, Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So second point, second observation is that Jesus is faithful. Again, see, the readers are being pulled back away from Jesus, back into their old practices, into, into Judaism. And so the author here, he's just been going through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, just tearing down these things, tearing down the, these distractions that are pulling them away from Christ, and he's showing them that Jesus is greater than Moses and he's more faithful. Now, for us, that, that's not probably a really big issue. Right? I mean, none of you were like, man, I just so want to call Ricky up and just tell him how I'm just so focused and think Moses is so amazing. And man, I know that's not right, but gosh, Moses, you know, um, that probably didn't happen for you guys this week. Um, but, but think of it, um, what, what they thought of Moses is kind of similar to what Muslims would think of Muhammad or, or, or Buddhists would think of Buddha, right? They love him or, or what, what Mo thinks of Kobe Bryant, you know, you're just like, this doesn't make sense what Austin thinks of, of pygmy goats or Pokemon Charizard. You know, you're just like, what? Um, 
so, so they, they revered Moses. The law came from Moses. Moses helped define who they are. Moses was chosen by God. He delivered them from Egypt with acts of power, the 10 plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, all of that. That's Moses. And, and also God, God even says some pretty amazing things about Moses. This is, this is Numbers 12, 6 through 8. And God said, he said, listen to my words. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face. It's different with him. Clearly, not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So even God's kind of saying, hey, Moses is a pretty big deal. And he gave them the law. He gave them the first five books of the Bible. Moses makes intercession for the people when they're fighting the Amalekites. They're making sure that they're holding up his arms, his hands. And when they do that, they're winning. When his hands go down, they're losing the battle. He interceded for them when they didn't trust God. And God is, hey, I want to do away with them. But Moses steps in on behalf of the people. He's a huge figure for them. But just just a comparison real quick on how Jesus is greater. Than Moses. So Moses was a man. Jesus is the God man. Moses was a sinner and he killed a guy and he was judged for his sins. Jesus was sinless, but was judged and killed for the sins of others. Moses interceded for them, just temporary, a couple times. But in Hebrews 7, talking about Jesus, it says that he is able to completely save those who come to, to God through him because he lives, always lives to intercede for them. Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt, but it couldn't lead them to the promised land. But Jesus leads us out of slavery, of sin, and does lead us into the ultimate promised land. That's life with God, eternal life. But here the author isn't trying to say, hey, here, look at the faults of Moses, and then look at how Jesus succeeded. It's not really what he's doing. He, he's saying, Moses is good. He is faithful, but Jesus is even greater. He's even better. You thought you could trust Moses. Well, you should trust to, and cling to Jesus even more because he's greater. And, and his argument is pretty simple in verses 3 and 4. He says, more glory goes to the builder of the house than the actual house. And, and then later on he says, hey, and, and God is the builder of all things. And so clearly here the author is saying, Jesus is God. God made all things and Jesus is the builder of the house Jesus is God, and he's built the house, God's people, us. And so he is greater. So, so j- just to know, the, here's what the author is not doing. The author is not just comparing two things on kind of equal standing, you're not sure. It's not, it's not like, hey, who really is the greatest, Michael Jordan or LeBron? Kobe's not in the discussion. Just want to make sure we have all that clear, especially Mo. So, hey, Michael Jordan or LeBron, hey, which one's greater? That's not the argument. It's like him saying, hey, who's greater, Michael Jordan or the one who created Michael Jordan? Right, yeah, hey, sure, Michael Jordan can run far and he can jump high and all that stuff, but who's the one that actually gave Michael Jordan breath right now? Created him to have these abilities to be able to jump high and created everything, right? Jesus is greater than Moses because he is God and he created Moses, And then he continues the argument in verse 5 and 6 and how Jesus is greater as a son than Moses the servant. 
the, the house is us, God's people. And Moses is a part of that house as God's people, and he's a servant in God's house. And, and this word servant here, it's kind of like a manager. You know, Moses is in God's house as a manager, but he didn't build the house. He doesn't own the house. That, that's Jesus. And, and Moses, as this servant, he's pointing people to their Savior because he's not the point. He's pointing them to the point, and that's to Christ. And even when it says there in, in verse 5, a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, meaning Moses is testifying to Jesus, to him, pointing people to the goodness, to the faithfulness of Christ, how Jesus is the climax of redemptive history, and he fulfills all the Old Testament prophecy and promises. And so we hold on to Jesus. He's, he's faithful over us, God's house. And then he goes on in verse 6, <clears throat> and he says, and we are his house if we indeed hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So you could maybe, maybe read this verse and this feels like, hey, wait a minute. This feels like a conditional thing. It says, if, if I do this, then that. And so, so maybe you're kind of thinking, hey, is this talking about that? Hey, if I, it kind of like, if I'm a good enough Christian, and I'm holding on to Christ good enough, then am I really saved? Or if maybe I'm going through this rough season, I have these doubts or anything, man, if I, if I do that, do I lose my salvation because I'm not holding on to Christ? Is that what the author is talking about? And I, and I just want to make sure this is very clear. That's not what the author is talking about. The author is not saying that you can lose your salvation, right? He, he's made this very clear. You are not saved by your works. You're not saved by how good you are. And not, not only do you not gain your salvation by your works, you don't keep your salvation by your works. It's not like, oh, hey, Jesus saves me by his grace, by this undeserved gift that I didn't earn. But now I better, I better earn it now by being really good, and that's how I'll stay saved. That's not at all what the author is saying. Jesus Christ saves us, and he keeps us saved. It is by the work of him on the cross, the resurrection, and by his power. That we were saying, this is what Jesus says in John 28 and 30. He says, I give them eternal life. They don't get it for themselves. I give them eternal life, not just now, but forever. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And so if we are, we are truly saved then Christ saves us and secures our salvation and will help you persevere. But, but the point of the text here is not to, to, to try to, you know, determine who's in, who's out, who's really saved, who, who's really not. That's just not the focus here. The focus is holding on to Christ. And, and the author here, he, he's writing a letter to, be, to, a, to a people, to a church, and, and his main primary audience is believers, those who have trusted in Christ. But probably also the people, some other people that are listening to this really aren't believers. You know, that maybe they kind of think they are, or maybe they're kind of checking the whole Jesus thing out, and, and he's speaking to them as well, just much like when one of us speaks here at City Light. You know what, we, we think, hey, probably the most, most of you are believers, but there's some of you that think that you really have, have trusted in Christ, given your life to Christ, but, but you really haven't. There's some of you that you know you haven't trusted Christ, and you're not sure... Uh, really, do you want to give your life to Christ or not? 
And so the author here, he's warning and, and giving this encouragement to, to people uh, at, wherever they're at in their journey, wherever they're at in trusting Jesus, um, both to unbelievers and both to believers. And, and there are some of you here today that, that think that you are saved, but, but you're really not. You really haven't given your life to Christ. And, and I'm not saying that because you're not following him good enough or following him perfectly. None of us can do that. None of us do follow Christ perfectly. What I, what I am saying is that you really don't trust Jesus with everything. You don't really trust Jesus with your, with your salvation. Yeah, hey, Jesus was a real guy and he did some stuff, but, but kind of deep down you're thinking, hey, yeah, I'm good with God because I'm good. Or, hey, I go to church, or I haven't really done anything bad. Maybe you just kind of, hey, I'll give Jesus a thumbs up. Yeah, sure. I'm, I, I think he, he lived and he did some stuff. But if you're really honest with yourself, you really don't trust Christ with your life, with your salvation. And the author here is warning you, man, are, are you really holding on to him? Is he, is he really your confidence? You being made right with God, a just God, are you basing that all on Christ? Not kind of on Christ, not a little bit on Christ. Are you basing it fully on Christ? Not you being a good person, but what Christ has done for you because you're a sinner separated from God and you have no hope outside of him. Are you trusting him? Are you trusting in some other stuff? What's your, what's your, what are you fixing your life on? And, and I just, I mean, if you haven't trusted in Christ, I just want to ask you a question. Who else is so faithful to you? You aren't faithful to you. Do you know where you get most of your lies from? Yourself. You lie to yourself all the time thinking you need this, you need that, you need that person. You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself be good enough. You fall short all the time, just like me. And no one else is coming for you to save you from your sin and bring you to God. Muhammad is not coming for you. Buddha is not coming for you. This government, science, nothing. No one else is coming for you to rescue you out of something that you can't do yourself and bring you to God. Not because you're good, not because you've earned it, but because of grace, because of love that God has given you, because that's who he is. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, I, there's no one else as faithful as him. My encouragement to you is, is just look to him. Ask yourself, is there anything else actually worth better trusting in than Jesus? Talk to someone, ask some questions, give your life to Christ. If, if, you're, if you're a believer, the, the author's wanting to encourage us as, as well. And, and to, like, like he said in verse 1, to stay fixed on Christ, to keep trusting him, keep holding on to him. Also to encourage us that, to, to make sure that we know that God will hold on to us. This is what it says in Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And so we, we can have that kind of encouragement. And, and we may not feel this pull away um, from Jesus towards Moses. But, but we do feel this pull away from Jesus, especially when we're, we're facing some tough times. I mean, the, the, the world around us right now is, is just goofy. 
and confusing and, and let's just face it, kind of dumb sometimes. And, and, and for, for some of you, you get very caught up in what is the government going to do about it? And I'm not saying that it's bad to, to be involved in government, to care about those things, to be praying for those things. We should. I mean, I met with a, a couple this past week, and, and they're involved in politics. And, man, I was so encouraged by them, their faith, that they're focused on Christ, and even just why they got into office. I, I was really encouraged by that. But some of you are banking on government to fix everything. Man, if everyone would just be more Republican, more Democrat, more this, more that, that would solve it all. Government is only so faithful, and it cannot ultimately save our country because it's human. It's a man-made structure. Only Jesus can transform lives and hearts. Law and policy cannot. Only God can do that. So why would we look to some human institution to do something what only God can? Maybe, maybe in tough times, you're... you're your confidence is in yourself. Man, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to work hard enough. I'm going to solve that. I'm going to get by. I'm going to make enough. Maybe your confidence is in other people or having other people, a certain kind of relationship. Maybe your confidence is in money and having a certain kind of income and having security and comfort. You and others, people, make mistakes. You You fail. Money can be taken away. Money can, can only get you really so far. And so don't be looking to these other things that can really only be just a little bit of faithfulness. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Christ, even in the good times. Don't wait till all of a sudden when circumstances are bad to start looking to Jesus. If, if you have a pattern of not staying fixed on Christ, trusting him, believing him, holding on to him, when, times are, when those times are, get tough, it's going to be even harder for you to all of a sudden to start to trust Jesus because you haven't been believing him and trusting him along the way. How, 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 do, you, how do we even do that? You know, if we're supposed to hold on to Christ, then how do we hold on to Christ? Again, I think... Um, we take time to preach the gospel to ourselves, preach, preach it not just to ourselves, but preach it to others, reminding ourselves of who God is, what he's done for us. Also, pray. Yeah, that sounds churchy, but ask God for help. Just, man, God, right now, I'm just, I have some doubts. God, right now, it's just really hard to trust you. And I don't, I can't really make sense of all these things. And God, just give me, give me more belief. Give me more faith, because I, I just need it. God, help me. He's also, I mean, also just to know he's, he's not asking you to do this alone. He's given you a family, given you a, a church body and said, hey, well, man, I just need some people to walk through life with me. It's hard. I can't always make sense of these things. Following Jesus and trusting him is, is tough. And so, man, let's do this together. I can encourage you when you're, you're starting to doubt. You can encourage me when I'm starting to doubt. Let's love and, and encourage each other and show Christ that he cares for us and is with us in this. Get in a city group if you're not in one. Also, just, just want you to know, God knows that you don't have enough strength to completely trust him. He knows that. And that's why he said, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you my presence, my power. I'm going to live inside of you. 
remind you who I am, to testify to your heart that you cry out, Abba, Father, so you know who I am. My spirit is going to be with you, comforting you, helping you hold on to me because you don't have what it takes by yourself. I'm going to help you do this. Earlier when I asked you, hey, what is the one item, what is the one thing that you'd take with you to a deserted island to make sure that you survive? I mean, in life, we know that for us to truly survive and get through all of these tough circumstances and situations, we have to be holding on to Christ. In the, in the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks, for him it was that, that volleyball Wilson. But you know the problem with that is, is that it was all up to Tom Hanks to hold on to Wilson. Wilson is doing nothing. And so before you get so concerned or solely concerned with how well you're holding on to Christ, first look to the one that's holding on to you. He is holding on to you. Christ is faithful. Christ is good. It's not just dependent on us and how well do I follow or hold on or fix my eyes, fix my trust on him. He's holding on to me. He faithfully fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecy. He faithfully became human. He faithfully submitted his power and his will to the will of the Father. And he faithfully underwent temptation and suffered terribly, never giving in. He faithfully yielded his hands to the nails on the cross and was crucified. He faithfully became sin for us after wave of wave of the world's sin was poured over his sinless soul. He faithfully died for us and then he faithfully rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And now as our high priest, as our apostle, he faithfully intercedes for us. He faithfully guides us, strengthens us, comforts us, cares for us, pursues us, loves us. He's faithfully holding on to us when we're in danger of losing our grip on him. He's faithfully strengthening you with you and gives you grace upon grace coming after you again and again. He is faithful over God's house. And we hold on to Christ. We hold on to him, our Savior, with everything that we have. Fixing ourselves completely on him. Fixing our eyes on him, not to something else, not to that other person, but him. Because he is good. And he is our only way that we can survive going through all of these circumstances, being cleansed of our sins. We hold on to him because he is faithful and good, holding on to us. And right now, we get, to, we get to take communion just as a reminder of his faithfulness to us. That he faithfully was crucified, paid the price for our sin, that his blood was shed for us, that his body was broken for us. And so if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, I just invite you here in a moment. After I pray, we'll, we'll start to sing uh, a song just to worship and just invite you to come and just to, to take this bread and to dip it in the juice just as a reminder of the goodness and faithfulness of Christ, that he's holding on to us, that he saved us from our sin to God. Let's pray.